Brian's story is one that you've probably heard before with another name. Brian is a kid who grew up in a Christian household, turned 18, went to college. Things were going well enough at college. Parents would get calls home. They'd ask, have you found a church yet? No, not yet. He pledged a fraternity, got into the fraternity, and found himself living in a house that was very different than the house that he grew up in. Uh, They had so many parties and they drank so much that kegs became furniture around the house because they didn't even have the time to return them. And and nightstands and couches were built out of them. Um, Every type of immorality began to happen in the house and his grades and his life and his heart suffered week after week that went by. One of the nights as he found himself laying on the bathroom floor that had not been cleaned all semester because it's a fraternity house of boys, the smell of the place was just reeking out, but his life was in turmoil as he knew that this was not the life he was meant for, and he knew that this life was going to change soon because his GPA of 0.7 wasn't going to cut it, and eventually he'd be kicked out of college. And at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night, he gave a call home to his parents. And time after time of telling him that everything was good, everything was fine, he felt cornered by the truth, and so he just put it all out there for them. And as he said what he had been doing and how he had been living and how he was going to get kicked out of college because of his GPA and the the student loans he had taken out to pay for college were now wasted. And he finished what he had to tell his parents and there was just silence on the other end. One of those moments where the silence is just deafening. And then his parents told him three words. Just come home. And he describes it as one of those moments of grace that just changed the, direct, the trajectory of his life. Grace is powerful. When you feel like you've done everything in your capacity to wreck your life and someone loves you enough to grab a hold of you and say, no, you're not finished yet, that is an example of the power of grace. But it is only a shadow of the grace that your heavenly father has for you. And as we get into this series about grace that that we're calling Your Mess is Mine, we're going to be looking at the the Apostle Paul, or as he's known in Scripture as well as Saul's life, and, and the way that grace transformed him. Last week we talked about how grace is not just a concept, but grace is actually a force that moves you and changes you. And the Apostle Paul wrote about how grace was a force that changed him. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles with you. You can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 9, verse 10 in preparation for it. We're not going to get to it quite yet because I want to give you some context. For those of you who aren't familiar with Saul or the Apostle Paul's story, Saul was born into a Jewish family and he was raised up to follow the strictest of the rules of the Jewish religion. And he became a leader within it. And so when Christianity began to break out all around, he actually went and he got authority. And by law, he was persecuting Christians, having them beaten, having them put imprisoned, and having them put to death. And that was what he was committing his life to. And because of the persecution that that was happening in Jerusalem, the Christians began to move out to other cities. And he was so passionate about persecuting these Christians, he got permission to chase them out where they went. And so he was heading to Damascus to go and have more Christians arrested. And while he was in pursuit of them on the road to Damascus, God showed up in a way that literally put him on the ground. 
And God spoke to him, gave him a vision, told him that it's I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And God actually blinded Saul for this time. Now, I want to tell you that there are times when God whispers to you and there are times when God shouts. And this was one of those moments where God showed up in his life in a loud way. And if you're a theological-minded person, you might ask the question of, God, why did you have to be that rough on Saul? Why did you have to take his vision? It actually says that he didn't eat for days after this encounter with Jesus. You know, there's times where God whispers to you, but there's times where you need that loving thud on the side of your head, and that is what God gave Saul. Do you know that sometimes when God gives you something that's loving, it can actually be painful when you first receive it? Have you experienced that before? where the most graceful, the most loving thing that God can do is knock you right off of your plans because your plans are bringing you to a conclusion that you don't want to be at. Have you experienced that before in life? Yeah, sometimes love, sometimes grace is difficult. It's messy, it's painful. And that's really what today is about because the way that God began working in him, that he had this reputation, he had this earthly reputation that he was someone who persecuted and destroyed Christians. But at the point where God showed up and Saul made a a real decision from his heart to believe and to follow Jesus, it's like there was the earthly reputation, but now there was a heavenly reputation that was different than what he had been doing. But, But things on earth hadn't changed yet. People hadn't seen change in him yet. And that's where we're picking up the passage. So Saul has been led by the hand. It was 135 a mile walk from Jerusalem to Damascus. And on that road is where Jesus showed up and and blinded him and spoke to him. And then he was led by the hand into Damascus. And there he is sitting and waiting and Saul is praying and God begins to work. We're going to put verse 10 up on the screen as I read. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, not the Judas that was the the betrayer of Jesus. Judas was a common name. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about the, the man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now Saul is his Hebrew name. It's his Jewish name. And Paul is his Greek name. One of the other things to know about him is that he didn't experience a name change like Peter where he was given a new name. He was given those two names at birth. We later hear that he had Roman citizenship and part of that he would have had a Greek name which would have been Paul just as a bit of information. So when you see Saul and Paul in regards to the Apostle Paul, it's the same person but it's just two different cultures. He has two different names that they would have used. And Paul, he, he in that moment where he believed in Jesus, he had grace from God. 
And he had forgiveness for the things that had happened before. And his heart was genuinely changed. But he did not yet have grace from God's people. And we've seen this happen in the church before because we have a healthy amount, maybe an unhealthy amount of skepticism for other people when they change. For other people, not ourselves, right? We've seen this, we've felt this, that when we change, we know this change is going to last forever. I went to the grocery store and I bought every green vegetable they had and I'm going to love eating this stuff and this diet is going to hold on for the rest of my life and I am a changed person until the next day when I'm ordering dominoes, right? Like change in us, we always believe it's going to be permanent, but change in other people, we always have this unhealthy skepticism where we just lean to the side of they won't last. And I want to tell you that, that you, we've heard it said, I only trust a person once. And we've heard that said. Maybe you even put that up as a Facebook status. I haven't been reading your social media, so don't, you know, if the shoe fits, lace it up. But I'm not saying this in response to anybody. But if you say, I only trust a person once, that might be what people say, but that is not what God's people say. Amen? We are someone who is supposed to forgive 77 times 7 times 7 times 7 times. The whole point of Jesus' passage wasn't to give Peter a limit on how many times he'd forgive someone, but to say it's unlimited. That the same grace that God has shown us, we show other people. And so when we see someone who begins to make positive changes, when we see someone show up into church that we're like, their life is a mess. What are they doing in church? They're exactly where they should be. We don't wait to see the evidence of life change. We, we just look for the smallest sign of hope and we should be rooting for them. We should be believing in them. Because he's here in the case of the Apostle Paul, when he experienced this amazing interaction with Jesus on the road, it, all of God's people, they responded with skepticism. And I get that. But we should learn from, that, from their mistake and begin to look at people with hope. The, the first thing I want you to see is Paul had grace from God, but, he, but not from the people of God. Can I tell you this? That when God says, I've forgiven this person, and we say we refuse to forgive that person, can I tell you that you're outside of the will of God? I, I, I understand I'm dealing with some major heart issues here. And I'm, I'm not saying this with a lack of compassion for you. But when God has forgiven them and they've legitimately brought it before God, but you still hold on to that offense, you're living outside of the will of God. We're called to be a people who extend grace. And I want you to see in verse 11, it says, the Lord told him, and he's speaking to Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. At the beginning of Saul's relationship with God, he's there and he can't see, and it shook him so to his core that he's not even eating food at this point. His strength is deteriorating, but what he is doing is he's praying. It's a great first step for someone who feels like they have just been doing the wrong thing for the last few years of their life. 
It's a great step to be remorseful about the mistakes that you've made and be praying and praying your heart out. And I want to tell you in the middle of that, that moment where you're praying and you're pouring your heart out to God and you're asking him to work, you might not get to see what he's doing. Not just because you're blind, but because there's just no evidence that it's happening yet. You might not see what God is doing, but I want you to know that across town, across the world, as you're praying, God is already moving pieces in the game. He's already setting up the equation. He is already responding to your prayers before you see it happening. Because here in verse 11, it says, he's speaking to Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Saul is praying, God is working on answering the prayers, and Saul has no idea what God is doing yet. Can I encourage you, if you have no idea what God is doing yet, but you've been praying, take faith, take hope, take belief that God is working on your behalf. Sometimes he's having to work through Christians who don't want to listen to him. We don't know any Christians in here that don't want to listen to him, do we? We haven't been that person at all. No, not in this church, of course not. But Ananias, he's getting this incredible interaction. I mean, like, don't you just dream of that moment where you have a vision from God where it's like hearing an audible voice, very clear direction, like you're hearing from God. That's amazing. Your faith would be so built up. But in what you hear from God, you're like, no. <laughs> like, haven't you heard about who Saul is? I, I, I've experienced and I've heard from other believers The times you hear the most clear direction from God are the times that you're getting directions that you most clearly don't want to listen to. And Ananias is getting this word from God that we'd be like, yeah, it'd be awesome to hear from God like that. But he's getting a word that that creates one of the shortest sentences in the Bible. In the NIV translation, I would say it's definitely the shortest sentence as you read it. One of the sentences that God speaks is just go exclamation point. Like he tells him, go, go find Saul of Tarsus, Ananias objects, and then he just says, go, go to the house. God had forgiven him. God had shown him grace. But Ananias was like, I know who that person is. I know, I, I've heard stories. It, it's, fair, it's fair to speculate that Ananias probably knew someone that was beaten, imprisoned, scarred, or even put to death in one of those categories. Someone who had been physically impacted by what Saul was doing. And when God says that you should forgive, you should show grace. Grace should be powerful enough in your heart to overcome the obstacles of what someone else has done. Someone that you really know. Someone that you know that what they've done has impacted you or it's impacted someone close to you. Grace should be so powerful in your life to overcome even that. And, you know, in my circle, in my family's circle, like we've experienced abuse. Uh, you pick your kind of abuse, whether it's substance, physical, sexual. There's people within my family circle who's walked through all of those. And so I'm not saying this without care or caution. But what I want for you is to be able to experience grace in such a profound, in such a personal way 
that it empowers you to forgive even that because it will actually heal some things that are in your heart when you're able to forgive even that that has so deeply affected you. There's part of our conscious that, that, that just wants to say, no, like they don't deserve grace from me. They don't. But you deserve for yourself, for the health of your soul, to extend grace to them when they don't deserve it. We should have enough trust and faith in God that when he says, I've forgiven that person, that we can say, you know what, God, I can follow your example. So God has to push on Ananias a little bit. And he says that he's, you know, Saul is praying. Saul is praying. And so I'm moving and I'm moving you towards him. And so I want you to go. And despite Ananias' objections, he begins to go. And I'm sure that he felt like, just a bit confused and that this whole situation seems messy. I'm going to tell you, messy and confused is a great description of what grace is. Grace, grace is not like law. Like it's so easy for us to understand law, at least for me, because here's this, like I bet that within our group, we have people who just naturally associate. It's like, I'm more of a grace person. Like I just want to forgive everything. And then we have some people in our group who are like, I'm a rules person. I'm a law person. And I just want everybody to follow the rules. Like, do you know who you are? Where's my grace people at? Who's just like, yeah, just, just, it's all okay. Like you, you hit me with the truck. It's going to be fine. Like, I, I'm not going to raise my voice. Where's my grace people at in here? Any grace people? All right, you know who you are. And where's my law people? Law people, yeah, law people are early service people. I understand because you're going to be on time. You're not, you don't need 11 a.m. 9.30 works great for you. Um, there, there, there's this different struggle that happens within the two where we begin to separate, you know, is it grace or is it truth? Like, and it creates this, this mess of like, who do we forgive? Who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't? Who, who deserves truth and who doesn't? And grace, I'm gonna tell you, grace is messy and confusing. And this is the second part because as we try to apply grace, it's like, well, but they really messed up. Like they need to know. And I wanna tell you that what we see in scripture, uh, what we see with, with specifically the example of Jesus is, is that John 1.14 describes Jesus as being one who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, when we talk about grace, I'm not talking about ignoring sin. I'm not talking about ignoring situations. I'm not talking about pretending that something never happened. I'm talking about dealing with it in a way that honors God. Uh, Ananias in the Christian community, I'm sure that they were specifically hurt by the things that Saul did before he had an interaction with Jesus. And it affected families, it affected people, it affected Stephen's family who was put to death under the watch of Saul. It affected people. But Jesus continues to show there is grace and there is truth. And specifically when Jesus dealt with a woman who was caught in adultery and brought before him for punishment, he said, whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And the men went away. And then he spoke to her. He said, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. Then go and sin no more. There's the grace and the truth. There's forgiveness for things that feel unforgivable, but there's a calling to go and change. And so as we get into the mess of grace, I want to tell you, there's going to be times where it feels like they don't deserve grace, but I know the truth that I have to give it to them. And so you need to, you need to obey the truth and give grace. And there's going to be times where you feel like, I just don't want to, uh, I want to give them grace and I don't want to tell them what they're, what they're doing will hurt them, hurt them. You're not giving grace if you're not giving them truth. Can I tell you that? If you're leading them to the same mistake, if you're leading them to stay in the, the same addiction, if you enable them to make the same thing that is going to destroy their life again, that's not love, that's not grace, that's not kindness. 
And so we need to provide both grace and truth. And it's going to be messy at times because when you try to give someone grace and truth, they're not always going to receive it well. They're going to want one and not the other. There's going to be people who it's like, I want you to be mad at me. I don't want you to forgive me because I don't feel like I need forgiveness and they need grace from you. There's going to be people who they want your forgiveness, but they don't want to hear that what they did was wrong. And you've got to speak both. And it's going to be, it's going to be a mess at times. And so we have, to, we have to make the decision that when I go to an interaction, I'm not going to just react out of what my default is because we know we have our truthers, our legal people, and we know we have our graces. We have to decide to bring both things with us. As we provide and we say, hey, this is what happened, and that was wrong, but because of what God has done in my heart, I can forgive. I will forgive because I'm not going to hold on to this. It's like we, we have to decide to bring it with us. You know, t- talking about grace and truth and navigating arguments, it reminds me of family vacations. Because if you've ever been on a family vacations, you know, one of the things that you always bring on family vacations with you is an argument, right? For, for me, um, I, I find that we can discover our arguments about family vacation before we even get the vehicle loaded. Have you done that? Uh, I say part of that is definitely me because let me just read you some of the things that I've brought with me on family vacations on different ones. Um, I've brought surfboards before. I, th- I like to find all kinds of ways to injure myself. I brought archery supplies. I brought water skis. I brought golf clubs. I brought dive gear. I've got fishing poles. Not all on the same vacation, but you can think about, okay, how do you fit a surfboard in a minivan? Well, it goes on the minivan. But when the surfboard goes on, it takes the place of something else. Like there's only so much you can load on a minivan. In my family of six people, we can very quickly fill a minivan. And so you have to make a decision of like, what am I going to bring? What am I not going to bring? And that's where the discussions can become robust, if you will, where, where other people's opinions will, will, will get louder and louder. But it's really going to get down to, okay, what do we need? What do we need to have with us? There's a decision of what will I bring with us on this trip? And in our life, like, I'm going to compare it. It's like there's a decision when you're walking into a situation, you will decide what you're bringing with you. Like, am I going to just bring grace? Am I going to just bring truth? Am I going to just bring anger? Am I going to just bring my past experience? Like, there's a decision as you enter into any engagement, what am I going to bring with me? Am I going to bring the word of God and the truth of God? And I'm going to bring the way that my family has always argued. And you'll decide what to bring with you. And I'm just trying to instill in you the, the concept that when you, when you have that family get together with your extended relatives that you don't get along with, or you have that meeting at work with a person who just grinds your nerves, when you have these interactions that are difficult for you, where you're called to bring, be a carrier of grace, you have to decide to pack it up and strap that onto you before you get there. You, great, grace is not natural for us. Grace will be messy. It'll feel undeserved, and you have to make a decision before you get in the situation that I'm going to bring grace. If you lean on the legal side, if you lean on, well, here's what you did, and I'm just going to punish you for it, you need to choose to bring grace with you. If you lean on the permissive side where you just want to forgive everything, you're like, I have to bring truth and grace. Like, we need this. The church operates the best when we have both because that's what helps people the most. And I think that's the lie that we have to get over. I think there's this thing in our head that says, what really helps people is if I just enforce the rules. Or what really helps people if I don't enforce the rules at all. And we need to get onto God's page that people need both. 
They need both, and we need to develop the courage to give them both. For our kids, for our family members, like we, like it, it, I understand it takes, it takes some, some grit. Like it takes some courage. And number three, like grace takes grit. Like, like it's difficult. It's difficult to give someone grace that we don't think that they deserve. It's difficult to speak words of truth into a situation where we just want to be permissive, but there's this, this moment of courage that needs to rise up. And like with Ananias in, in verse 17, it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul. Now, I, I want you to see just a little conversation with God of how, quick, how far Ananias went. Like at first in the conversation with God, it was like, God, don't you know who he is? Don't you know how destructive he is? Don't you know all the pain that he's caused? And God is just like, go to him. And then by the time Ananias gets there and he's putting hands on Saul to pray, he says, brother Saul. I mean, that's what a conversation with God can do. It can change your heart from this person that I want nothing to do with to seeing and saying, this person is like family to me. This person who seriously wounded people, this person who made serious mistakes is like family with me. And it takes some grit to get over the fear because I would only imagine that as Ananias is walking to this house, he's like, man, if I misheard from God on this one, I'm going to miss my favorite tunic. Like I'm going to miss like my favorite meal. There's some holidays coming up. Like my family's not going to see me there today, like anymore. Like he's probably thinking if I got this wrong from God, my life is over because I'm going into the house of the person who puts Christians to death. And, And so there's definitely some faith building and developing as Ananias was having this walk there. But then as he gets in the room, he just steps into the moment and he goes for what God had asked him to do. And I want to tell you, if there's a person in your life where you feel like you, you need to forgive them, it's going to take some grit. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some strength. It's going to take some faith to say, I'm going to trust God on forgiving this person. It won't come easy. It, the passage actually goes on a little bit later in verses 26. It, it says, when, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But then it was another guy named Barnabas. Barnabas in verse 27 says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And, and he told them uh, of how like, he had been preaching without fear, how he had been praying, how God had this meeting with him. And Barnabas began to unpack all of the things that were, was happening in Saul's faith. It, it, it takes guts to go to someone like Saul and, and, and forgive and pray and bring them into the family. It takes guts to speak up on someone else's behalf, but this is what grace should look like. Grace should be saying, I know that there's reservations. I, I know that there, there's a negative side that we could see this on, but choosing to say, God is at work in them, and so we're gonna work with them too. And our mentality as a church your mentality as a leader where God has placed you, your mentality as someone who has a family, you have to look at them with faith and hope and trust when they are walking with God. I, I don't want to say the benefit of, a, of the doubt because I believe that the kind of perspective God wants us to take of people, that grace is so powerful that it just removes doubt and it's filled with faith-filled expectation in the way that we treat, in the way that we see other people. So Barnabas stood and he vouched for him. And I'll tell you one thing about that for the skeptical 
question. I'll tell you what my pastor told me about things like this. He said, if people aren't failing you, you aren't taking enough risks on people. People aren't failing you sometimes. You're not taking enough risks on people. And that objection that we have of like, if I show them grace, if I show them forgiveness, then what happens when they mess up again and I prove myself right? It's okay. In fact, it might be an evidence that you're looking at people the way that God looks at them. You might be showing evidence that you're looking at them the way that God looks at you. And wouldn't you rather have the story be told about you in the kingdom of heaven that you were someone who invested in, believed in, and trusted other people? Take risks on people. Because when grace begins moving through us, grace is what I believe unlocks the church. There's so many people who they, they legitimately feel locked out of the church. They feel like they could never belong here. They feel like they've messed up too much. And when they begin to see grace on display in your life, it's going to bring them inward. Can, can you, I mean, just imagine if, if Ananias and Barnabas had not vouched for the Apostle Paul. If, if you're a student of Scripture, you know this. But just let me tell you, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. He planted churches in so many different cities. His work, he prayed and people were healed. He prayed and people rose from the dead. He established leadership. He helped push the church away from just the Jewish people to all different nationalities and ethnicities. Like the Apostle Paul was someone God used in a tremendous way. And the church was so skeptical of him at first. So if you feel like the church is skeptical of you, rest assured you're in good company. God might have a big mission on your hands in the future. Sometimes people won't approve right away, and they won't approve right away. And let me give you some grace for those who you feel like have been giving you a cold shoulder at church. Sometimes when someone won't give grace to you, you take offense. Give them grace right back even when they aren't giving you grace. Because they're, they're putting up those walls as a defense mechanism because of what they've walked through. They're, they're doing the same thing that you do. It's like there's a hurt and they don't want to get hurt again and, and they don't want to deal with it. And so they're going to just like stay in that position where they're protected. And, if I, and when I ask the question of, is there someone that you need to forgive and there's someone who pops up in your mind and you say, no, I can't do that. Can you, can you identify the fact you're trying to protect that? Like you're trying to protect yourself from getting hurt again. And uh, Ben, I'm going to begin to close it up if you want to make your way up. With, with just this, this illustration, this story. Um, what, when I think of the times that I mo- got most physically hurt in my life, there's one that stands out when I was about seven years old. It's not the time that I broke my arm playing hockey. It's not the time that I hurt my shoulder and had to get shoulder surgery. Not any pulled muscle, not anything like that. It was when I was seven years old and I was running down the Naples Pier barefoot with one of my friends. And I mean like full sprint mode. And the Naples Pier at this point was getting a little old and rickety, and one of the planks on the pier had a piece of wood that was just propped up a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, like when my foot went o- over it, it was bad. I, it was more like a javelin than a splinter, because when it broke off, like it was about this long, and it was about this deep into my foot. And as a seven-year-old, like you know, like a seven-year-old who gets anything like that, life is over now. 
and I don't want to get too graphic, but there was, there was blood, there was screaming, there was crying, and there was people around me who were nice enough that wanted to help. But in my pain, what did I do when they came over to me and said, hey, we need to get that out of your foot? Don't touch it. It'll hurt more. Not that I had really thought too much about the future at that point, but I think I would have preferred the idea that I just live the rest of my life with this sticking out of my foot. Because the concept of someone reaching and grabbing a hold and taking that out was just, it was just felt pain. And kindness to me in that moment was telling me, no, I have to help you. No, we have to deal with this. No, we have to pull this shard of the Naples Pier out of your foot. And I didn't want it to happen, but I needed it to happen. An offense in your life that you want to hold on to, I want to tell you, it is the most grace-filled thing from God to knock you back on your butt and say, this has to get fixed now. Like healing won't happen until we deal with this. There's times where God's grace, it feels like force. It feels like pain. It feels uncomfortable. It feels like a mess. God's grace feels like that for a moment because God would rather make you uncomfortable for a few days so that he can give you blessings for years. He would rather take away and crush your plans because he wants to make you aware of his plans for you that are so much bigger and so much higher. And it's all covered in grace. Like God will walk you through something incredibly difficult to get you to something better than what you were headed towards. And it's going to be like, God, don't touch that area of my life. But his grace says, I have to reach in. My grace says, I have to interrupt. It was his grace that interrupted Paul on the road to Damascus. That said, I, it is Jesus whom you persecute who's speaking to you. And Paul went through blindness. Paul went through an awareness. And it said at the beginning of the passage, I'm going to show Saul how much he has to suffer for my namesake. It's not going to be easy for him, but it's going to be better than what he had. And this is how God is with you. If there's unforgiveness in your heart towards someone and God is just prompting and saying, we need to deal with this, and you say, I don't, that would hurt too much. It's grace. Let it hurt for a little bit because it's going to heal up so much better. There's that moment, man, it's a terrible moment where like for me, it was like grabbing that chunk of wood and pulling it out of my seven-year-old foot. And I would have done anything to avoid that, but I'm gonna tell you just almost immediately, once that first initial pull was done, the pain was less. And I think that if God is like showing you something today, saying you need to deal with this you need to process this you need to extend forgiveness that is authentic from your heart i think that it's good to just put physical action to that in some way and say god like i'm hearing you and if it means that you take a different posture during this last song where maybe you just sit and pray and you talk to him if you worship differently or if you come talk to our prayer team after this and have someone pray for you i believe that if there, there's a step that you're like i need to take and let grace work in me and through me. If there's a step you need to take, put physical action to it today. Tell someone. But understand that the pain that you might feel will be replaced by healing and wholeness and grace.
God's church will allow grace to move through it. We get to see cities transformed. But it starts in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the examples that we have of Saul and Ananias and Barnabas. That when an interruption happens and our plans have to change, that we can trust you. When you call us to go and extend forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve our forgiveness, that we can trust you. That when we see a spark of change in someone, that we can trust you with them. And so wherever our faith has been stalling out or we have been withholding grace, convict our hearts and our minds with clarity. Give us the courage, give us the determination, the grit to take action in our faith. Because your grace will have effect. Your grace will cause change. So help us to be obedient today in Jesus' name.